Something corporate was cloaked in irony. Andrew McMahon's first headlining project, the big label-backed pop-punk five-piece, could be chalked up as a more accessible dashboard confessional or a more wholesome good Charlotte. Something corporate had a ceiling, though. Their success felt largely of a certain time and place, an era of alternative rock where bands like the All-American Rejects and Yellow Card could get paid big money and on top of that, cash in on commercial success. The tides began to shift in the music industry, and after the 2004 split of Something Corporate, McMahon shifted his approach and altered his sound. And after battling acute lymphoplastic leukemia in the lead-up to the first release of his first post-Something Corporate project, he dove headfirst into authenticity and maturation with Everything in Transit, the debut album from Jack's Mannequin. Something corporate represented the sounds of wanting to escape your hometown, while Jack's Mannequin, and specifically their 2005 release, battles the demons of returning to the place you once called home. Everything in Transit is a heroic approach of authenticity, bravery, and storytelling. And 15 years after its initial release, Everything in Transit remains an art school album. This is morning. That's when I spend the most time thinking about what I've given up. This is a warning. I wouldn't dare give my guest today an introduction because I don't know enough of the English vocabulary. I don't have the verbiage to properly introduce this person. I, I am not the wordsmith. I can't possibly craft an intro that is good enough. For the person that is sitting across from me in this Zoom call right now, my guest today, I'm not even going to say their name. I'm going to have them introduce themselves. My guest, please introduce yourself on the Art School Albums podcast. Hi, I'm Marie Drassic. Um, who who are you? You're Marie Drassic. What's yes. our relationship? How do you know me? Okay, so I met Case when he was a freshman in high school freshman in high school and he had joined the broadcasting class which i was also in but i was in the class above him because i am older than case uh i was a junior and case promises that we met freshman year i don't remember it <laughs> here's here's kind of how this goes i'm a scared little freshman in high school desperate for validation direction really not knowing what i'm going to do the next day in my life let alone the next three years of high school, four years of college, rest of my life, TBD on that. All I knew was that I was in this broadcasting class that I liked. The teacher was a little weird, never really made up my mind on him. The people were good. And then there was this older person named Marie Trasic. And I knew Marie because she was kind of the alpha of the scenario. I noticed it's early true. on people did what Marie said. People uh -huh. looked to Marie for guidance uh -huh. And I wanted to attach myself to that rocket ship. I wanted her to tell me what to do. And I wanted her to be unapologetic about it. So sort of followed Marie in the shadows right. for a year. Her Which, senior year. Yes, go ahead. Were you... So the way the broadcasting class worked is I was in the first period class and Case was in the second period. Yes. Um, because I was a freshman, but I didn't have my first two classes at the freshman campus. I correct. had my first two classes at the big high school, which the I main was building. just saying on an episode that I distinctly remember listening to music in the bathroom my freshman year because I didn't, I didn't have anywhere else to go because I didn't have friends at the main campus and I rode the bus. So I didn't want to like sit like in, in my morning? first, yeah, in my first period teacher's class. Like I didn't just want to sit in her room for oh, a half yeah. hour. Nobody wants to do that. Like I would have felt like, <laughs> Yeah, I, well, I didn't know that at the time because I didn't know the landscape of the high school. That's so fair. I would sit in a bathroom. I distinctly remember like the smell um, of that bathroom every single day. And I would listen to Cage the Elephant's Melophobia. And that is how I got through oh, freshman year of high school. Oh, that's a great album. Yes. So, yes, we met for Cage's freshman year because I was a aide in second period. I'm Something pretty like sure. That. Something like that. I was always around. I you were always yeah. around. You were always in the broadcast room, but we mm -hmm. never really had any direct interactions until your senior year, my sophomore yes. year, when a budding relationship developed, would you say? Yes. Well, so I had most of my classes in the broadcast studio. I was there for like two periods in the morning, and then I was, uh, I was a teacher's uh, aide for one of them, and then... Uh, 
I used to eat my lunch in there. I was just like there all the time. I would like, I had another class where I was like um, an editor for the writing center. And I, I just like did all my papers down in the broadcast studio. So I was there all the time. Um, you were painting a green screen at one point that took up. Yeah. Most of I built year. a lot of sets. Yeah. I changed a lot of lights. I filmed a lot of stuff. Um, but I used to leave all my books and my, basically my locker also in the broadcast studio on these stairs we had. Um, and I used to leave my lunch box uh, and I would come in to eat my lunch and there'd be things missing because Caselo had eaten them. <laughs> so I was on a power walk a few days ago. I power walk around my neighborhood. I take 10,000 steps a day, okay? I'm doing my part to stay healthy while wearing a mask. I do what I can. But in the midst of my power walk, I was kind of prepping for this episode, what I wanted to talk to Maria about. And I knew the fact that I used to literally eat her lunch yes. would come up. And that was, at this point, five or six years ago. I was a different human. And I was trying to put myself in the mindset of why I was doing this. I don't know, but I would come in and I'd open my lunchbox and like all of my like pretzel chips would be gone. I have like, no explanation. Where did they go? And I, I can't uh, our friend imagine. Kyle would be like, oh, Case ate them. I can't imagine doing that to someone now i don't know why i did that i owe you a lot of pretzel chips which i can make a donation to your mailbox to give you Fine. some i don't know why i did that but it i don't was, know it was almost like when jay leno wanted to host the tonight show and jay leno used to hide in the closets of NBC executives and the and uh, wherever they filmed the Tonight Show uh, to listen in on their conversation because he knew he would be able to get a foot in the door that way. This really was a networking opportunity. Yeah, I was probably. just trying to get my foot in the door of Marie Jurassic Enterprises, and it worked out because we're here four years later. You're for some reason still in my life to an almost daily degree. I can't yeah. believe it. I wake up every day thankful <laughs> for it. I don't know why you are. Well, I think because all we like, we talk about how we met and we forget to mention, like we both were going through a lot. My senior year, your sophomore year of high school, which case didn't know I was going through a lot, but I was like in a pretty bad where I was in a rough space and uh, we weren't always like friendly. There was a very, there's not I wouldn't say long but there's a very solid few months where I was like this kid won't leave me alone he yeah. won't stop asking me questions um and you and have every right to thing around and I was yes. like just like frustrated by it but then like you started asking me questions about my life and like why was I doing these things and you really wanted to learn and so I was like I'll just like I'm not gonna be mean to you like that's terrible I'm not gonna be I'm not gonna be actively mean to you and so I was always in the studio and then you were always in the studio. So we just started hanging around. Um, and I think we just like became good friends that relied on each other. It's weird to think that we became really good friends when you moved to college yes. and I was still in high school. And then that yes. was when it clicked. And it was like, we, we need our relationship works best when there's an hour of physical distance between space. us. When there is some literal space between yeah. us, we really fire on all cylinders. We do a but good we job. Like FaceTime and we talk a lot, but yes. I, yeah, it's just funny. But there's a healthy distance there that I, I yeah. think for your sake is, is needed. We seem to do better when we operate that way. So, uh, you know, you're on the podcast today. I'm embarrassed that it took you, that it took me, that it took me. I was blaming you. I should have blamed myself. I'm embarrassed <laughs> that it took me this long to book you on the podcast because you are one of my, my dear, dear friends. And we are talking today about Jack's Mannequin's Everything in Transit, an yeah. album that I directly associate with you because That's going, into this pod, going into this podcast, didn't know a ton about the artist, had heard songs from the album but didn't really know the album but i knew this was kind of your deal the same way that people yeah. might associate me with the smiths or the front bottoms or any number of angry white guy bands <laughs> kind of my thing i kind of knew jack's mannequin mm -hmm. was in marie jurassic's ballpark so explain yeah. to me the first time you heard this band your early memories with this group yeah so i have three sisters um and the oldest is her name is grace and she's four years older than me like four and a half years um and she when she was like 13 uh i remember her playing this album when we would clean the house on saturdays and being like 
what is this? Like, I don't understand. And her and her best friend, Leah, were obsessed with it. They were obsessed with this album, Jack's Mannequin, or everything in transit from Jack's Mannequin. And it was her favorite band because her and Leah had also listened to a little bit of something corporate. So to sort of break that down, the lead singer of Jack's Mannequin, Andrew McMahon, he had a band before that called Something Corporate, which was like this 90s, I don't, a lot of people say it's like pop punk. Like It's it's a pop punk band. I think they would possibly, and this is where I will get elitist and I do apologize. They are like hot topic emo, like the same way that they're a mall punk band. Oh, yeah. It's like somebody that would call Green Day emo probably would lump something corporate into that, which yeah. if that's your thing. They were pretty fine. mainstream. Yes, exactly. They're, they got pretty they're mainstream a, pretty they're fast. They're a pop punk some, band. Yeah. They're fine. I don't have any issues with them. Do I list them when I am doing my timeline timeline of emo music? No, I do not. No. But that's okay. That's my cross to bear. I'm the idiot that cares <laughs> about that. Most people do not. Most people call a band emo and move on with their lives. Yeah. I, so, yeah. He formed everything, or he formed something corporate in 2000. And then Jack's Mannequin was formed in 2004. So there was like some tensions and like, something corporate they're really tired from touring there were some tensions and so then he like took a small break the whole band did and he started working on his side project with a, one of his other bandmates and then one of the producers or i forget there's one other guy i don't know what he did for something corporate i forget but anyway he helped him <laughs> it doesn't matter um and so grace and leah were really into everything in transit because it was this debut album and it was so good and it was just something that she listened to a lot um, Grace was the first one in our family to get an iPod. So mm. that was one of the first things that was on our iTunes. So then when I got an iPod, it was um, automatically put onto my iPod. Um, Grace is the I, oldest. I want to so know more about this first iPod that you had. What style? What it was some a of the purple first... one. It was an iPod Nano, but it was one of those thin ones. Yes. Um, that you could like flip to the side and you can like watch movies on it. Ooh. It wasn't the square one. It was like the thin purple one. And my dad bought them on Black Friday and he got up at 3 a.m. to go to Best Buy to get them for us. <laughs> that is, first of all, so kind. Uh, yeah. do I like my first iPod, and I think I've said this before, got it in kindergarten. My dad won it at a golf outing and gave it to his five-year-old son instead of his wife. It is still a source of tension in the family. Ooh. Do not know why, but I like distinctly remember the early iPod songs, like, and again, part of my upbringing explains this, uh, Lil Wayne's Hustler music. Oh, yeah. Okay. Weird thing Grace into my really brain. into Lil Wayne. Yes. I remember you telling me that once. I was like, really? Okay. Yeah. Right, really into Lil Wayne. That so, was on my iPod. Yes. We were really into Snow Patrol. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. Very weird. She liked Snow Patrol. I still like Snow Patrol. I think they're like a good classic, like, I don't even know what you'd describe them as. Their music, like, and that counts for something. They're just a band. Yes. You know? So that was good. Um, but yeah, so they were really into Jack's Mannequin, and they were really into Everything in Transit, because it was the only album out. And they went to um, the racetrack to see them, and it was just something that was just, like always around. And then when his second album came out, like Grace got it, and she would play it, and being the oldest and like being grace she was just sort of like the leader and so like whatever music she was playing that's what we listened to and so it was just something that was always on and around um and i have a lot of fond memories with the album it was the first time i ever heard the f word Ooh, yeah i learned the f word from that album and i was like this is a swear word i've never heard before <laughs> Because he like yells it in one song. It's yeah. like one of like the biggest parts of the song. And like when you see him in concert, like everybody yells that line. It's like, well, it's, it's, great. A, it's a sense of unity. It's a sense of power. Mm -hmm. it, it is the almighty F word. It is the F word mm -hmm. for a reason. Mm -hmm. So it's the album that like I learned that like two women who were in love were called lesbians. I didn't know that because like that, that he uses that on the album. And I remember Grace being like, do you know what that means? If this sounds like the public school system failed you, that you were learning all of these things from a Jack's Mannequin album and maybe not from... Well, uh, I was nine. When do they start sex ed? I feel like that starts at nine. No, it starts in junior high. Maybe you're right. <laughs> when, well, I think sex ed probably started earlier for you. <laughs> just just my existence and started yeah, earlier I for me? I think you were like, I need to figure this out. Oh, and I still have so many questions. That's the thing. I'm but... here for you. 
that that is true um uh-huh. so like i said i kind of associated this band these songs with you even before mm-hmm. the podcast was scheduled it was just how i knew the band there was one other avenue that i was familiar with jack's mannequin through and that is something that is sort of representing like the peak of our friendship it is yes. what we have spent more time other than my emotional breakdowns uh, some of your moments of emotional distress it is kind of the thing we always circle back to i feel like we talk about four things and it's like what you're going through emotionally what i'm going through emotionally um weird white instagram influencers <laughs> and like like so, like instagram or like you like uh I don't even know what you would call them. Like influencer no, no, moms. White, white, white influencers is the correct. White influencers. Yeah, it's Acacia and Savannah and Cole. And those are the two big ones. I don't feel like we've got a third because we spend so much well, time. Well, we sometimes talk about Caroline Calloway, but she's do. like none of those things. She's just a mess, but that's we not the point. We do sometimes no. talk about Caroline so we talk Calloway. About those and then, yeah. And then, and then One Tree Hill. Go ahead. You intro it. Yes. One, one Tree Hill. One we talk about Hill. One Tree Hill. <laughs> The, I love One Tree Hill. One of the best shows of all time. It is something that I remember you texting me about, saying, I love this show, and mm-hmm. me kind of knowing what it was, but never really seeing it. I just knew it was of the teen variety. I knew it was a CW show, and me yes. seeing it was on Netflix and going, I'm going to watch an episode, and I'm going to roast this Me being this like, thing. oh, it's so bad. It's yeah, so good. Just, like, I'm ready to You have kick to learn back, about Haley and Nathan. Ready to kick back and just destroy this thing. And within- Yeah, he was going to roast me. You were like, I'm going to watch this show because it's going to be so dumb, and I'm going to pick it apart because like, I can't believe she's watching this. And I don't know how many episodes you watched. Well, within two minutes, I was hooked. And nine seasons later, yeah, I fit. I finished all of the episodes. I know it is a brilliant show, and I bring it up specifically because I think, like, One Tree Hill represents a lot of interesting things to me of just teen dramas, which I unironically have discovered I really enjoy, and oh. sp- specifically with that show, like the soundtrack to it is really impressive there are episodes with songs by the cure and there's mm-hmm. an episode you know episodes titled after smith's songs and it's every, just every yes. episode is titled after a song which is i love that that's something dumb that i enjoy and, and it obviously the show episodes being titled after songs means that there is a sense of music being thought of in the writer's mm-hmm. room of like how can we soundtrack this but mm-hmm. also just in some of the songs that are used throughout the show it seems like there was a real effort to make this soundtrack different than even the other teen shows out there, let alone everything else on TV. Like One Tree Hill, and you can correct me if you disagree, I feel like has a definitively distinct soundtrack just in the landscape of TV. Oh, I would absolutely agree. I know that when um, my brief knowledge of like One Tree Hill production comes down to, I knew they wanted to make a TV show that didn't feel like every other teen show on the CW. They wanted it to be relatable, but they didn't want it to be like every other show that was on. And so they wanted to include music that wasn't playing on the radio all the time. They wanted to include music that they knew other people, other teens were listening to. And so uh, I think that's a big reason by why one of the, um, one of the characters, Peyton, she's like really into music and she's the one who sort of like brings the music in when needed because she is sort of this, I don't like quote unquote alternative girl who like is all about her emotions. And so um, yes, I think let me, that let like, me take a they had to give a reason to be like, why are we going to have the cure on the show? But it was because they wanted to connect to like teens who weren't watching. I don't know if Gossip Girl was on the time, but that's the show I wanted to say. Like who weren't watching like your standard teen drama. They wanted to connect to like the real teens. You know? Well, yes. Let me take a stab at Peyton Sawyer real quick. Peyton Sawyer, a character on One Tree Hill, one of the most annoying characters in television Ugh. history. Who she's also... like meant to be like one of the main protagonists. And Case and I are like, we hate her. Just like she's everything she does is wrong. But yeah, all the time in high school, or maybe right after graduation, begins to run a music club in her hometown, which is She's bizarre. in high school. Yes, it's bizarre. And specifically... It's like one of the least problematic things on the show, though. In a weird way, it's like, no, like, given everything else that happens, I could see that. Literally like, a season before, Haley was like, I'm going on tour. While she was in high school and married. Yeah, that's the craziest part is she's married. 
So I went back today because I was I was doing some research. I like to come prepared. And season three of the show, episode fifteen, just watched mm-hmm. the fireworks. Hayden is putting on a benefit concert for the National Breast Cancer Society and books who other than Jack's mannequin on the show. And they play the song mixtape on an episode that just to, I guess, refresh Marie's memory and to maybe generate some buzz among the tree hill heads out there. It is the episode where the time capsule gets unearthed and people see Brooke, uh, Brooke Davis, another main character, taking off her top as like a way of like 50 years from now i hope you remember these and then takes off her shirt which is super weird and then there's a kid named jimmy edwards who the the jimmy edwards arc is really like actually good tv yeah he's wild he's giving he's i don't want to make fun of his character too much but he is sort of the prototype edgelord incel in the show and Mm -hmm. gives this rant about like all you popular kids, you're going to be fat and out of shape and nerds are going to rule the world. And all you hot cheerleaders, you're going to be knocked up by 21. And it's just like, wow, this is a lot of just like you're throwing a lot of stuff at me. Um, he in the next episode goes on to shoot up the school. Is that the next episode? That is the next episode. So, I didn't know that. Oh my gosh. Like I say it maybe with like a hint of not glee in my voice, but I say it as if I'm swallowing a laugh, but the school shooting episode of One Tree Hill. It's one is of the a, best episodes of that they ever aired. It got the like highest ratings. It's a marvelous episode it's so of television. Good. It's it made me cry. It's phenomenal. It's really, really good. And that is what comes after this, which is weird because this episode, the ones with Jack's mannequin kind of ends. I mean, there's a few more minutes afterwards, but sort of the the lasting image I have is Fallout Boy is also on the show. And this is an episode that came out in like 2004, 2005 when Fallout Boy is really blowing up. And bassist Pete Wentz just starts hitting on Peyton Sawyer, who again, oh, yeah. I believe is in the show 17 at the time if yes. not like then 18 but it's still pete Wentz being creepy with a girl in high school and it's something that has a miniature arc to it where pete Wentz so fallout boy They're like date is hanging around this high school it is i forgot dating about someone that. in high school oh my gosh it's a bizarre show it goes on so many twists and turns but music is the focal point and they give jack's mannequin and specifically the song mixtape a ton of time to breathe that is a focal point of the show but that is the second track on the album and i think if we're going to properly break down everything in transit you need to know that it was released on august 23rd 2005 but that came after numerous delays now marie you can fill in any gaps that i miss here yeah because I, know I got you. the whole history baby well, why don't you give it a shot? Explain okay. why this album was delayed as many times as it was. So I'm, if I'm understanding right, it was delayed twice. Yes. Um, but it was delayed because Andrew McMahon, the lead singer, got um, leukemia. He was diagnosed with leukemia. And what's really crazy is that the day that they finished recording everything in transit, the day the recordings were completed, that's the day he was diagnosed with leukemia. And yes. then... The day the album was released, August 23rd, um, was the same day that he received his stem stem cell transplant from his sister, which is like a very, I think, interesting cyclical sort of image, um, which kind of goes along with the whole Jack's Mannequin theme. The band only ever released three albums, and they all sort of have this like very definitive story they're telling, which is not something he planned, but so it was released on the 23rd but it had to be delayed because he was going through treatment and he still continued to record songs through treatment um but he didn't have the time or the energy to do any promotions there was uh, a tour scheduled um that had to be canceled because he was just too weak and he was dying yes and uh had it not been for his sister the outcome might have been very unfortunate but yeah he, katie she got yes, her own song later exactly he healed up the album came out 
on August 23rd, 2005. And by the way, you summarized that not only so nice, but so quickly. That was so much better than Thank what you. I was going to do. Well, uh, I have a lot of little details about like, why did he decide on the name Jack's Mannequin? Because it sort of relates to his cancer, which was decided in it. And that was like something he played with. Why don't you tell us why he decided on the name Jack's Mannequin? Well, he was going to pick the mannequins, but then he was like, I really hate that so many bands have names that start with the, and that's stupid. And so before he had recorded one song called Dear Jack that wouldn't be released on Everything in Transit, it would be released later on an EP um, with uh, his documentary called Dear Jack that went through his experience going through cancer treatment and then recording his first album. Um, And... The song, Dear Jack, was named because of a family friend whose son's name was Jack, who was also battling childhood leukemia. And Dear, or Dear Jack was originally planned for everything in transit, and so he decided to mix the names. He liked the sound of Jack's mannequin. Um, and he has a quote that says, like, there wasn't supposed to be much significance behind the name, but the band name became ironic considering the Jack I wrote the song for and ultimately named the project efforts suffered from childhood leukemia. And I followed the same pursuit. It's uh, a beautiful artistic accident, if you will. It just all came together so nicely. And I love the fact that he avoided the the kind of band name because even if 15 years later it might not have as much significant we're talking about 2005 where the strokes and the hives and the vines and the resurgence of new york rock in particular which then brought all of these bands in that were very much corporate plants very much after the initial wave of again like the strokes is this it is uh, it's one of the best albums ever recorded and i will i will die on that hill i take a lot of shit for it from uh, people in the punk community for it but no the strokes is the set is a it's an amazing album i will not back down on that but anyways i'll this, support you yes thank you marie You're thank welcome. you for validating me You're but welcome. anyways the second wave of the the bands brought nothing to the table and had the band been called the mannequins even with the backstory even with i will say it how strong some of these songs are i think it would have been lumped in as just another one of those bands and because the Mm -hmm. name is so different because the album artwork i think is so eye-catching the album was able to breathe and exist in its own little universe and i think that's a great thing and i think we get a wonderful introduction to the album on holiday from real which is the opening song which i will say now i will say this okay i am embarrassed at how much i liked this album oh this is like crazy (laughs) i was not expecting to necessarily enjoy it i didn't think you were gonna i thought you'd be like it was fine There are a few songs where I'm like, not for me, whatever, skip it after I've heard it a few times. There are a few songs out here where I am at, like, fighting a war with it myself because I know there is a part of me that is like, yo, this is corporate and he's got, you know, a team of promotions people, you know, he's not doing it DIY, but also, oh my God, these songs are kind of good. Now, there's a few things sonically as we go along that I think I can point to as like, oh, like... Had he done this, I would have been a little bit more into it. But the overall fact remains, I liked this album, and I yeah. maybe wasn't wow. necessarily expecting expecting to. And I think, you know, we mentioned the mixtape, which is which is track two, and I think Holiday from Real and the mixtape can be sort of lumped in as the Jack's mannequin sound on this album. And I think the rest of the songs sort of deviate from that a little bit, but they're all centralized with the first two songs from the record. And mm-hmm. yes, his voice is a little whiny. And I, you That's know, usually the biggest complaint. Yes, which I don't mind. And, you know, there's some instrumentation that, again, like, it's just if I was producing the album, it's not necessarily the direction I would go in. But the first two songs are undeniably really, really good. And I was, really taken good. A, I was taken aback by how much I enjoy them. And I am assuming you agree. Oh, I absolutely agree. I think Holiday From Real is a great start to the album. I really like the way it introduces you to the album. It's like you get the, like the few little seagulls and then like you're immediately brought into the song and it's got like a good beat. Um, 
I really like the drums on this album. It's just like a really weird thing. Uh, in the documentary, I didn't know this when I first heard the albums. Uh, I, mean, I heard it when I was nine, but I don't think I really started listening to it until I was like in my teens and I got my own iPod. And I was like, oh, this is the one for me. But uh, a lot of the drums are done by Tommy Lee because they were friends. And is so that the Tommy Lee of Motley Crue? Yes. He narrates the documentary and he did almost all, most of the drums on Everything in Transit. <laughs> that, I don't know how I did not come across that in my research. Feels like a major gaffe on my end to not know that, yeah. but you are blowing my mind with this information. They're super good. Yeah, they're really good drums. And it's yeah. annoying because I think Tommy Lee sucks and I hate everything Motley Crue represents, which is a weird grudge for a 21-year-old to have. But I, yeah, it's probably. Just, they're just not. They're just bad. Well, but, they got yes. connected because Andrew did some like backing vocals for Motley Crue and um, Tommy Lee really liked the Something Corporate album North. And he wanted to be able to like play drums in like a way that he wanted to, not just for the band. So he got to experiment a lot when Andrew was recording. And so he decided to help out because Andrew didn't have a lot of people in his band. <laughs> it was new. There is something specifically with the mixtape, track two, that hit me when I was listening to it. Mm. And to make it clear, because I have said many times now, I directly associate this band with you. This is not at you. I am not microaggressing you, I promise. Okay. But listening to the mixtape, I was like, I'm never going to put this on myself, but if I'm with a cute, fun, significant other, and she puts this on... I'm into it because it's a great song. Yeah, it's like of all the the bad music that I could possibly be suckered into pretending to enjoy someday in a relationship, if Jack's mm -hmm. mannequin is her shit, I'm winning. We're gonna listen to yeah, it. Yeah, that is a win for me. That is really good because again, there's stuff on here that I really like now bruised, track three. Yeah. Maybe maybe not the one for me. To me I didn't think so. You didn't think I would like this? No, I think that you would have thought it was just like, I don't know. When I hear Bruce, I really like uh, the bridge of it. I really like the bridge of Bruce. And when I, so I re-listened, I listened back through the album too. And I was like, I wonder, just thinking about like, I wonder what Case would think of it. And we've known each other for eight years, eight or nine years. And so. Sorry, I've, sorry, by the way. <laughs> I, it's really not that I feel like I have to apologize because a lot of my stuff is like very dramatic as well. You're not the only one who's struggling. <laughs> yes, I've been told that I have to remind myself of that. And so where like the mixtape is upbeat and fun. Uh, and also like it's a very sincere song. He wrote it because he had made a mixtape for his girlfriend, now wife. And it's like a it's like an infamous mixtape like he won't release the track list to anybody. And so um, like switching that transition to bruised, I was like, I don't think Case is going to like this. I think he's going to be like, this is so like either too try hardy or it's like just too like sad. I just felt like you would think it missed the mark. I often disagree with the piano as an instrument. Not really something I'm looking to implement into. Okay, most well, that's all Andrew plays. Music. So that's great. <laughs> This is a little heavy on the piano. And I also felt like there is not rugged because it's a very clean recording, but there is an authenticity to the first songs that I really liked that felt very CW, felt like what mm -hmm. One Tree Hill might have been going for. Bruise, to me, felt like it could have been in a live-action Disney movie. It felt like stuck oh. in the suburbs, like Disney Channel original like movie, and it was a little soft. I've got that in my notes a few times of tracks that were maybe a little soft for my liking. I would like a little bit more intensity to them. If I this this could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure. And in my notes, I like can't find the source that I pulled it from. But I'm almost positive. This is so funny that you brought it up that it felt like that because I'm almost positive that um, Stephanie Meyer, the author for uh, Twilight, said that this was on her like book playlist for the third book in the Twilight series. <laughs> 
that proves my point. I think I come away winning from this as someone that yeah. has uh, not read nor seen the Twilight movies. That's okay. It's not something I'm looking to do no. anytime soon. I think mm-hmm. the following track, I'm Ready, is one that picked up the pace a little bit. It's one I like. There is a direct comparison, I think, to the band Bright Eyes, and specifically their album, I'm Wide Awake, It's Morning, which has been covered on the show with my good friend Sierra Cruz. Mm-hmm. I think the artwork is very similar on the mm-hmm. album covers, and I kind of feel like Jack's Mannequin is... I guess the word would be angsty. Jack's Mannequin is angsty music for Christian teenagers, and Bright Eyes oh. is angsty music for rebelling atheists and religious households. Okay, do you really f- interesting. Do you find any truth to what I'm saying? Well, I feel like, I guess I would like kind of agree. It's hard because, uh, so Everything in Transit is, is like Andrew created it as like a concept album. So it's supposed to be like about like returning home after he like left to pursue his career and like re-exploring his life after ending a long relationship. And so I feel like it is angsty music in that sense. Like he is learning a lot. He references a lot about being sick and like hospitalized, which doesn't actually have anything to do with his leukemia, but is like And that's not angsty. Be... Being in the hospital should clarify yeah. just well, it's on supposed my own. To be a metaphor for like how like hard something corporate was getting at the time like the bands were arguing and they like couldn't agree on money and all that stuff and so i think there is a lot of angst and like he is i don't know how he would be 23 when he started something corporate so he's like like 26 at this time so he's like at this point he's like i don't know what i should do with my life and i don't know what's good for me and so yeah, I think it is kind of angsty teen. I don't know if I would say it's for Christians, though. I feel like that's just like, I think it's angsty teen music for people who aren't technically sad. Yes, I maybe that's it. Because there's definitely like, just to use the Bright Eyes comparison, there's hints of like political anarchism and like overthrowing the system. And, and Jack's yeah. Mannequin, it's just like people that are heartbroken. It's Yeah, well it's about like a failed relationship and having to come home a failed relationship with his band, a failed relationship with his girlfriend, a failed relationship with his music because something corporate wasn't going, going well. And then a lot of the songs he either finished recording or he finished writing and then recording while he was six. So it's like um, a failed relationship with his body. Like everything is falling apart and that's why it's so angsty. But I think it's for, I think like angsty music for kids who aren't super sad (laughs) is the best way that I would put it because it feels kind of beachy and, well, I yes, mean, there's certainly yeah. a Beach Boys influence on this album, which he Heavy. cites and mentions, yes. It's it's nice guy indie rock, which is not a bad thing. Yeah. There is a market for it, for sure. I understand, knowing you, why you like it so much. Oh. And I think you understand why I might push back on some of yes. it. Yes. Yes. But it's, again, it's good, and I have to admit that. And Thank I you. think... The song that comes afterwards, La La Lie, which I hate saying that title because it makes me feel dumb, but I will go ahead and say it anyways. It is a song that I will read an excerpt from a Glamour magazine that uh, article that Andrew McMahon did where he said, I had already recorded almost the entire transit record up to that point. I had brought it to a label more or less finished, but I had an A&R guy whose thing was, this is great, but what about one more song? He really pushed me to keep writing. So La La Lie and Into the Airwaves and Dark Blue came out of that and I think we could maybe talk about La La Lie and Dark Blue together since they were yeah. the last songs written on the album in my opinion two really strong songs yeah I will say both very fun songs to see live he usually plays Dark Blue either like right in the middle of a set which like really throws people off um it's really this is like I'm getting off topic but like no, go when ahead. you hear like the beginning of the piano keys live like it the, I don't even know how to describe the like electricity in the room because everybody there like knows the songs and like it's such an anticipated song he like builds it up and then he just like drops that to the piano chords and people like freak out it's always great dark blue, dark blue, have you So specifically with Dark Blue, I think if there is an entry point into the album, yes, this is 
the most listened to song on his Spotify, but I think mm-hmm. that is for a reason because it's it's not my favorite song on the album, but it's also one that I can objectively point to and go like, yeah, this is a really good pop song. Is the consensus among the hardcore Andrew fans like yourself that this is his best song or do you look elsewhere in terms of top tier Andrew? Um, I think the best way to put it is it's not my favorite song in the album. It's not one of my favorite songs really of his in general, but it's one that is like really catchy. And it's one of those where like, if it comes on, I'm like, Oh, I should skip this. And then like the piano starts and I'm like, okay, maybe I'll just listen to it. (laughs) And so like, I think if I wanted to listen to one of his songs, it wouldn't be the one that I pick. It's not my favorite. I don't think it's his strongest vocally. I don't think it's, it's his strongest lyrically. I don't even think it's his strongest like musically. I think it's like a okay song. I just think it got really big because it's so catchy. I think um, that's fair, yeah. And like the lyrics are kind of moody and it like like the, one of the most I mean it's in the chorus but uh one of the most famous lines is like have you ever been alone in a crowded room? And like as a teen you're like I have. Yes. Where it, it's like um a lot of this song was written because he had like a dream he had a recurring dream about like a tidal wave like coming and like just like swallowing him whole when he was going through chemotherapy dark blue was the last song he wrote for the album um and he just he didn't really like it but he felt like it really summed everything up there's something to be said about his songwriting on this album and there's no lyrics throughout all of the songs on this record that necessarily jump out at me as like wow i can't believe he said that or that he went there but as a whole package i think maybe Andrew's biggest strength when it comes to songwriting, and it's present in Dark Blue, and I think it's present in Miss Delaney, which is what follows as well, is he is someone that has a knack for writing about these moments in between where he's not necessarily talking about the breakup or the romantic escapades, but the not dull, but the quiet moments in between. Mm-hmm. I found myself picking up on a lot of that stuff in this album. And Miss mm-hmm. Delaney, which sort of takes a, a sonic shift for something a little bit more electronic, it reminded me of R.E.M.'s Reveal, which came out in 2001, which was criticized at the time for being a, an alternative rock album with too many keyboards and too much electronic noise. And if you listen to it now, it has far less keyboards and electronic noises than literally anything on alternative radio. (laughs) And it's a great album. It's an underrated album that was a hit everywhere but America. I rest my case. R.E.M. is the greatest American band of all time. Anyways, Miss Delaney reminded me of this album you've never heard of. Would you like to speak on that at all? Um, I really like Miss Delaney. Um, it com- coming after dark blue i think it's like a good shift like it kind of brings you back into like the genre of everything in transit um i have to correct myself dark blue was the one that inspired uh the third twilight book not oh. bruce so bruce is just a sad song yeah, bruce is just there anyway back to the point um i really like miss delaney because i really like the way it uses um a theremin I think that's a really fun thing. And it's really fun when he uses it. He used it on tour a few times to play Miss Delaney. I think he played it like once or twice, but um, he wanted a song on the album that felt like the Beach Boys' good vibrations because it was a song that he heard a lot going growing up. And so um, he wanted to use a theremin and that <laughs> was used on Miss Delaney. And, it worked, and I think and it um, Miss Delaney is one of the songs on the album that I feel like Every time I hear it, it like fits everything in transit because it is on everything in transit, but it's always the one that I hear and I'm like, huh, it just feels like the oddball out. I don't know why. I think it's either the lyrics, uh, just like this idea of Miss Delaney as a person. Um, I don't even know why. I'd have to look up the lyrics really quick. There's like some interesting lines that I'm like, huh, this doesn't feel like it quite fits all the time. Well, to uh, your point, it do, it literally sounds different than everything else on the album. Yes. It's just presented in a completely different way where yes. no other song is that way. And, and as we move sort of towards the back half of the album, although I will give you time to look up the lyrics to Miss Delaney if you would like it, yeah. you can circle back There's to it. The only line in the song that I really feel like, oh, I really like that is like, it's biblical how fucked my sleep can be. That's mm. like one of my favorite lines in the whole song but for the most part i feel like it's very weak lyrically compared to the other songs and 
I don't know. Every time I look at it, the like lines, like she's a vinyl queen from my surfer dream. She likes the beach boys more than radio metal. It just feels too on the nose. Yeah. That's that some like, shit I would say. So I think that's why I like this song. like beachy song and it just never hits for me. I, I really like the song. I, when I listen to the album, like I obviously don't skip it, but everything knowing that he wanted to create this like beach boys inspired song, it just feels too on the nose to me, which feels very not Andrew, especially with you saying like, Oh, he's all about those moments in between. I listen to the song and I'm like, you just went in there with the intent of writing a beach song and you like wrote a beach song. And I, I, it didn't feel like Jack's, it doesn't feel as Jack's mannequin E as I want it to. What follows are two tracks, kill the messenger and rescued. I think specifically with kill the messenger, good emo title, good whiny vocals. But this is where it hit me, just my stylistic preferences, that if this album was recorded with crunchy guitars and still that voice, but a a heavier presence of strings rather than him tickling the ivory on the old keyboard, Mm -hmm. I would have been all about this. But these two songs for me were a little soft because I think they were piano-driven more than anything else on the album, and they just didn't meet my expectations that had been building since what what up to this point was a really strong album. Right. Uh, yeah, I think it's interesting that you say that. Uh, because, so Kill the Messenger was a song that he'd written. I'm pretty sure he'd written it before. Uh, he'd written it just like as a side project for... Um, something corporate he, he'd written like a lot of these small songs or like half written them which is what made him want to pull away from something corporate because he felt like they couldn't be released another something corporate band but kill the messenger was supposed to be released as an acoustic song but he wanted to put it on this like beachy album which is why when the 10 year anniversary album came out he released it acoustically i don't own this cd on i don't own it like as an actual cd um i really liked rescued i think uh there's a really interesting tone shift in it i really like the shift from like how upbeat and like kind of chaotic i would say the album is to rescued is the only like really slow song it's the only one that like really catch you catches you off guard um my boyfriend case (laughs) it should be noted that yes we buried the lead marie is dating a person named case no it is not me does this does this hurt my feelings it used to i have made uh, peace with it it is fucked up though that she has two cases in her life that seems stressful and i apologize i'm just lucky yes that's what it is yeah which i met both each in a freshman year i met you freshman year your freshman year of high school not my freshman year, your freshman year of high school. And then case, my boyfriend case. And I met freshman year of college, but we didn't get together until sophomore year. Yes. Oh, quite the saga. That is a, a yeah, different, another, a different podcast. Another time. Um, but so anyway, the song so, rescued. Yes. He has a CD of the song and he would play it in his car. And, uh, he would joke that every time it came on, he's like, it just really kills the vibe. Like he's like in a great mood and like everything's fine. And he's like, and then I'm just like immediately sad. And I'm like too sad and I can't skip it. It's already happened. There are songs that are not meant for car play. There are great car songs, most of which Cheryl Crow has done in but her I career. But I kind of like it. Okay, you like it. I kind of like the like tonal shift on the album. Uh, I like that all of a sudden like everything is different. And um, I think because it's a concept album about failed relationships and about returning home and about rediscovery, it would be remiss to not include a song like this. It would be sort of... I think it would feel incomplete because there's a lot of this journey that's like chaotic and angsty and fun and uplifting and exciting, but there's also a lot of really low times when you're trying to figure things out and when you feel like every relationship has failed. And it's sort of a song that's about feeling like things have come to an end and sort of questioning like, did I make the right decisions? Was this a good move? Like, am I going to feel like some sort of redemption from this? which is kind of sad because at this point, 
everything's sort of falling apart. And I think that there's a low in everybody's experience of figuring out what to do in a relationship or after a breakup. And there's a lot of unknown and there's a lot of questioning like, did I do the right thing? There's a lyric in Rescue that says, uh, say you'll miss me one last time, I'll be strong, whatever you do, please don't get me rescued. And the line like, say you'll miss me one last time is really like, it feels like a very generic, like I'm gonna write it in my diary. Like, I just wish you would say me, say he misses me one last time. But like one, this idea that like in this album, Andrew's like dying um, is really powerful. But it's also this idea that like saying goodbye to things and trying to figure out new ways to live your life can be really scary and it can feel really hard to miss the things you used to have. And so I really like this song because of the tonal shift. And I think that it was really smart for him to include it on the album. I think without it, it wouldn't be an album about rediscovery and like failing. It would just be an attempt at that no, because I th- things I think are that hard. Makes sense. Yeah. I, you know, you go from one tonal change to what I would consider to be another as you hit a two-part, what I will label as an epic with Made MFEO. for Each Other. Yes, with Made for Each Other and You Can Breathe. I'll let you take the lead on this one. What do you think about this eight-minute extravaganza? I love MFEO. It's a really, really fun song. And it's, so the first, so it's two parts. There's Made for Each Other. And then there's a second part, You Can Breathe, which I think is bridged over by like drums, just yes. like a drum solo quote unquote um really great i think they're fun drums they kind of i mean they make me want to go back and forth (laughs) um but mfeo is really really upbeat and it's like really really energetic and it's all about like andrew analyzing his place in the world and trying to find what it looks like to have a partner in any sense so in the song it's about a romantic partner but it's sort of a song that is like piano synth esque and it's all about how how do I feel compatible and how do I find a place in this world that I can excel in how can I like be who I want to be there's this word this line that in MFEO uh it's I still live with my high school friends some people never change at all I think that's really funny I think that's like a great line in MFEO because it's this idea of like change but wanting to find my place and like with these people I like have an identity but um I'm also exploring like a new environment um I'm always in the haze of a car crash. I really like that line. That's very One Tree Hill-esque. Not oh, only because yeah. Of the, not only because of the show's affinity for car crashes, which came up multiple times, but that's just, that is melodramatic. And I'm okay yeah, with that. Yeah, it is but melodramatic. Yes. Um, but then the line after that is, um, the orange airbag dust covers everything. And like, that's why you're in a haze. And like one, I, when I like heard this song when I was younger, I was like, airbag dust is not orange. <laughs> but in older cars they were um but i think uh it goes along with this idea of mfeo of like trying to find your place in the world because um you're like looking through these things and in a car crash you're like know what happened but you don't really register what happened and it's just an interesting way to say like i can't figure things out instead of being like i'm just so confused this like image of like I'm in this haze of a car crash and like, what does that look like? And how's my life different now? And how am I figuring it out? So that's like the first part. It's really a beat and it's really exciting. But then the second part is you can breathe and it's, I would argue it's more of like, it's still on the line of like analyzing your place in the world. And it still goes along with the image of a relationship, but it's more um, romantic would you say? I will It's basically say, about like yes. having sex in a car. Which is sick. Um, I don't know. I've never done it. <laughs> nor have I. But it so sounds how sick. would we know? It sounds sick. It sounds but, uncomfortable. I'll take what I can get. So I do think the, the back half of the song is not utilizing Andrew, at least in the way that I know him from this album. I don't think that is his strongest output. It feels, it almost feels a little bit too big and, for lack of a better word, climactic, given the Mm -hmm. terms, where it's like, I I like a more subtle 
Andrew, I think. I think the songs on the first half of this album are just a little bit more traditional in song structure and maybe thematically to some extent. And I just think he works better in that environment. And this song mm-hmm. being so big, it's not even about the length of it, which I've talked many times about how I don't like songs over five minutes long because I think they're a waste of time. But it's not even the length of this song. I just, I thought it was a big leap and maybe he didn't entirely make the jump. But I will ask you this, someone that likes to write a little bit. That's kind of your thing. Was my major. It was your major. Is there any part of Andrew's entire career arc that has directly influenced anything you've done? Because I would imagine with such. Oh yeah. Yes. So go ahead. Oh yeah. So is it, wait, this is, this is the end of everything, the everything in transit album. Well, we've got one more. There's song. one more. Yes. There's into the airwaves. Which yeah. Okay. I, sorry. No, let, let, me, like, let me quickly oh. give my review of Into the Airwaves. It's fine. I thought it was a <laughs> fine way to end the album. It's the one song where I had nothing good to say about it, nothing bad to say about it. It was there. Right. Uh, Anyways. It's an okay song. I feel like I should mention on the MFE note, the MFEO note, that the end half of the song is about, like, obviously this song is about this relationship that he has with a woman or just with, like, a person, um, and with like his environment and that like the end of the song, the like synth and the overlay and the sort of like confusion that comes from it is about like, uh, he wanted it to feel like you didn't know what was happening at the end of the song, which is sort of the whole like theme of it of saying like, I don't know where I'm going and I don't know what I'm doing. Um, and I don't know if it lands that as strongly as it hopes to, uh, I would agree with that. it's still good. Yes. I think it's still good. Part of the song that I'm like, I just sort of like sort of tune out, but I'm like, (laughs) it's still good. Um, For your question about like the way his writing has influenced me, um, there are a lot of lyrics that I think I really like. Some of them are like funny. Um, He has a song called Cell Phone that was uh, not technically on his second album. It's like an EP that was released either before or after. I can't remember. But the um, opening line is, I called on Jesus, but he didn't pick, uh, but he didn't check his phone today. And I think that's really funny. <laughs> that is nice. Um, I like that. Yeah, he's, that's really great. Uh, he has some lyrics on his newer album that I like, but one of like his most influential songs, which I feel like a lot of people who listen to Andrew McMahon would agree with it, is a song off of his second album, The Glass Passenger, called Swim, which is a really, really beautiful song. Um it's all about keeping your head above water when you're like trying to move through a really, really hard time. And he wrote it about his illness, which uh, he also wrote, oh, The Resolution. That's another song off of, I'm pretty sure it's the second album. It's either off the second album or it's a bonus track on everything in transit, but I think it's the second album, um, which is also about his illness. Um, And there's not a lot of songs that like directly relate to his illness but swim is a really really powerful song and i remember i listened to it pretty regularly my senior year of high school (laughs) (laughs) which was a tough time for everyone involved which probably a big reason why you didn't know i was going through such terrible times was because i was listening to all these great songs naturally Um, yeah obviously but there's the song sort of swim sort of lists all these reasons why like people should keep their head above water like people should keep going um but i really like it because instead of like directly talking about the problem like the metaphor of swimming is really powerful and uh it just like builds really well i think that's like part of the reason there's like a good crescendo in it um yeah, and I like his writing in it. I like I like the way it like there's like rhymes and uh he always plays it acoustically at concerts, which is the best when it's just on the piano. There's a lot of things that I like about Andrew's music, but nothing quite beats like when you watch him live and you just get to like hear him play it on the piano. I know you're not a piano person. Not a piano it's like, person. It's very impressive to me when people can play the piano really well. It's a and nice like, skill to have. I just yeah. don't ha- it's I just don't have to enjoy it. Right. That's okay. So I would say Swim is probably one that's affected me a lot. We have come to the end of Everything in Transit. Like yeah. I said, it's 11 songs, 45 minutes. Marie, I will let you know now some of the reviews for this album and received a four out of five from All Music. You are very familiar with this next source as 
in your later years, you have converted to being a gamer girl. I should note that's not true. I should note that it is true. IGN gave this album okay, yeah. a seven point two out of ten. I am. O- I only. I play video games for like two reasons. One is because I own a Switch, <laughs> which I got because I wanted to hang out and play with my boyfriend, and I wanted to catch Pokemon. And two, because I took my senior seminar on um, video game and board game narratives. Yes. So and you so, have become a full-fledged gamer girl. No. I, the only things I play are Pokemon, Stardew Valley, Animal Crossing, a game name called Celeste, and then the Nancy Drew computer games, <laughs> and maybe The Sims. <laughs> So a 4 out of 5 from All Music, a 7.8 out of 10 from IGN, and a 10 out of 10 from Ultimate Guitar. So Marie, I turn the tables on you if you had to give this album a rating out of 10. I think we know the answer, but what would it be? I would give it a 10 out of 10. To me, it's a really perfect album because of the sort of narrative nature of it. That like I mentioned earlier, I'm a creative writing major, and I really like something that I wanted to talk about in this album is that it is a concept album and like the narrative nature of it is that it is sort of timeless in the sense that uh, it has this theme of failed relationships and failed feelings and feeling like you're just trying to figure things out. Like you're always, it's an album about figuring things out. And that's something that I feel like I feel all the time. And so I started listening to this album when I was probably 13 and it's an album that got me through like junior high and high school and college. And like today when I was listening to it, I was like, this album fucking rocks. I don't know if I can like swear on your of part, but like it fucking can. rocks. Yes. And so it's like an album that like I always go back to. It's an album that like never feels stale. It's not an album that I'm like, oh, I listened to this in like high school. Like I can't listen to it anymore. Um, not or like it just it feels like it fits in any genre of my life. It got me through high school and college and all of those times it felt applicable. And that's why I like it because even though like it might not be the best musically and it might not be the best lyrically, it feels comforting because it feels relatable and the, the narrative feels relatable. And I like that. I think that beautifully sums up why you love the album. And now I ask you the all-important question. This album is coming up on its 15th year anniversary. It feels just as relatable and as relevant as it did the day it came out. Marie, who needs to hear this album and why? Oh, um, that's really hard because I feel like a lot of people are not going to be big fans of Andrew because a lot of his, some people are like, I hate his voice, but that's okay. I feel like, um... I feel like it's a good summer album. And so yes. I feel like anybody who is feeling lonely should listen to the album, should listen to this album because right now there's a lot happening in the world that can feel really scary and it can feel really lonely. And it's important to remember that like there are good things out there. And sometimes you just need a little bit of I don't even like Jack's mannequin. Stare- a little bit of Jack's, yeah, Jack's mannequin. mannequin. You just need a little bit. What is the drug that like releases in your head to like make you happy? Endorphins, I think. No, ser- serotonin. Serotonin. Yeah, because melatonin like, puts you to sleep. No, it's the opposite. Yeah, I just feel like when, especially like when you come into the album and you hear um, "Holiday from Real," like it really gets you off on like a upbeat foot. Like you just need something that's going to make you feel like things are going to be fine, even if I can't figure it all out. And I feel like everything in transit does that. Um, And if you kind of want a little bit of 2000s nostalgia. (laughs) For sure. This album sounds like it is meant to be played off of an iPod. Yeah, or in like a Jeep. (laughs) I don't know why, but like that's what it sounds like to me. It's like it just feels like it's supposed to be something that's like, I mean, Andrew grew up mostly in California. He's from Ohio, but he moved grew up mostly in California. And so like, you can definitely hear there's like a lot of Californian influence in the music. And it's just like, it needs to be played outside. It needs to be played like in the sun. It's just sort of a album that makes you feel like things are going to be fine eventually, even if they're not fine now. Put on a mask, go outside, 
play this album in the sun. Marie Jurassic told you to, and you should do what she says. Marie. Not all the time, just sometimes. I follow you on pretty much everything. But Marie, thank you for being on the show. You're so welcome. I would love to come back. That's what everybody says. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, Marie, you provided us with a wonderful list of anti-racism tools that will be linked in the show's description. I should say that I didn't build this. Like, no, this is not you my credit. Not. I'm a white woman. This is not like I, I'm learning actively. And this was a great resource that I was provided and that I found or that was provided to me. And so I provided yes. it for everyone else. Other than that, what do you have to plug? Where can people find you? Do you want to be found? This is your opportunity oh, to let the people um, know. Yeah, people can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at, at Inky Squares. Um, I would say that my website is under construction, but I have a full-time job now, so I can't always work on it. <laughs> but um, I'm slowly updating it. And so on there, it used to just be like a weird blog that I wrote, but also some other things that I did. But you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I don't post a lot. Um, but I do retweet a lot. And, and it's I good think, content. It's worth. I think I'm kind of funny. Yeah. No, I like. Um, it. I make you laugh, which is like good enough. Half the battle. Um. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very specific things. <laughs> well. Yes. The other day, I just want. I feel like everyone should know. The other day, Case sent me a tweet about how 51 was divisible by 17. Um. And how, like, it made this person feel nauseous. And the fact that, like, Case saw that and was like, oh, Marie would find this funny. <laughs> like, it really did make me laugh. Um, Marie really is, hard. Is the, what so many people are striving for in this postmodern society where rent is through the roof. And what is the point of a relationship anyways? Because everybody just breaks up. You are always <laughs> looking for your Twitter DM friend, somebody that can constantly send you good tweets and you can rely on them to laugh the tweets they send you. And for me, that person is Marie. And I hope that perfectly encapsulates what our relationship is. So again, Marie, I thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you for being willing to talk about Jack's mannequin. It's something that we haven't talked about a lot. I think you like knew that it was my favorite band, but we like never really talk about it. We talk about a lot about the bands that we both like, which there are some there are some (laughs) that's we can leave with that there are some as always i am on both twitter and instagram at underscore case low c-a-s-e-l-w-e and the podcast itself can be found on instagram if you just want updates on the show at art school albums i would once again like to remind listeners if they're looking to get involved in their communities specifically just for myself the chicago community i would recommend looking into and donating money to my block my hood my city i think they are doing tremendous work on the south side of chicago and i once again thank you for listening to the art school albums podcast this has been jack's mannequins everything in transits